class, so we love our kids. Time to go to class, kids. You're dismissed. And I think for one special child, there's a, um, a reward waiting for the memory verse. It's right outside that door, right there. Lisa's over there waiting to give it to you, honey. Okay. We pay up. We pay up. Well done. Thanks, Eric. So I was just kind of whining to the Lord. <laughs> don't tell me you don't ever whine to the Lord. Maybe you don't. You know, it's kind of kind of a scary thing to do. Um, th- that I was just kind of whining a little bit, saying, you know, you know, I, I really, really love you people, and I am so grateful to be a part of this family. And I'll, I'll give you some some reasons why. But you're just just this special group of people. But I was whining to the Lord because you know, here we go again. We're giving away another family that I really value and, and love. I mean, just to give you some examples, you know, the Rich and, and Trish Jennings, we gave them away because they went to work in North Dakota. Where is North Dakota? What's the deal with North Dakota? And um, so that was where work was, and, and they needed to go there, so we gave them away, and then we gave away Kelvin, and he went to Switzerland. Switzerland. I mean, come on, banks and chocolate, okay. And a girl, a girl. And um, now we give away... Um, uh, Joel and Sean Moked and their family to uh, a, a position that Joel took in Dallas, basically. And um, so we keep giving away these really, really quality people. And um, not that we're all quality people. And thanks for staying, the, the quality people that are still here. You know, what am I, chopped liver kind of a deal? No, no, you're not chopped liver. Um, and, uh, and I was just kind of whining about this. And I, I have to say that I, I think the Lord just really spoke to me and he gave me this really promising, uh, I believe it was a prophetic picture. And, um, and the picture was, you know, stop your whining, Terry. But um, what I what, what it looked like was this center, this cluster, and I think the cluster of points was us. And then an arc went out, and one landed, and and when that one landed, it started a cluster, and it made a difference there. And there were all of these arcs going out. And all these, you may not know this, but um, you smile at people and you care for people and you talk to people and you have cookies and coffee and you pray with each other and those kind of things happen. You are making constant a constant series of deposits of blessing into somebody's life. And the Lord says, you don't know this, but those blessings are, are blossoming and now I'm going to take them over and transplant them in Dallas. And um, um, I, <laughs> the selfish part of me is whining, but the Lord says good things are happening because, you know, this... Humble little church by the railroad tracks in Rochester, Washington, is sending people to Switzerland and North Dakota and now Dallas and who else knows where. And it's good things that are going on. So you have no idea of the profound impact that you're having in places around the world. In fact, um, I was thinking about this. I haven't looked for a while, but um, I'll get to the message in just a second. <laughs> but... Um, um, we, you know, the, the, the sermons and, and so forth, they're all online and they're free. Anybody can have them. It's whatever. But I can go on this page and find out who's downloading the sermon. And there is some little town in the middle of Brazil. And every week, two or three places there download our message. And there's some place in Africa and there's some place in the middle of Russia. Of course, there's a few places in America, but it's like... This is not in Portuguese. Why would somebody in Brazil... I don't get that. All I know is that what we do here has way bigger and more profound impact, and it's a positive one. It's heaven-engineered, and you're part of it. You are part of it. So um, so I'm going to stop whining, I guess. I'm going to stop whining. Um, I want to let you know something else, too. The, um, the pie auction that we had last week, which was for VBS, 
some wonderful things happened. First off, I think mostly women, there were a couple of guys, but mostly women just love to bake a pie because you should have seen the pies and the cakes. I don't know how many we had, 30 or 40, but, and then you kind of went crazy, way to go church, to buy those pies. You didn't go buy pies, you overpaid for pies because every, every penny on every dollar is going to go to help make VBS free. We want to have 100 kids here. We're going to have 100 kids here. We're going to go after 100 kids with VBS this summer. And so you, you spent a little over $1,000 on those pies last week. Way to go. I'm just, yeah. I walked out of here with a chocolate coconut chess pie that was worth every penny that I paid for that thing. But I have to say, the last couple of minutes of that auction got a little bit vicious in that room. I was glad to come out with, with all my limbs still on me. And uh, so VBS is coming, and also the baby bottle boomerang. Um, you know, the weight, the weight of all of those bottles, it took two big trays. It's a lot of nickels and dimes, and I think there was some green stuff folded up. Some so way to go investing in life, and I'm just blessed, blessed by that. Next week... Rich and Kirsten Root will be here. Um, Lisa and I had lunch with them this week, and we're really excited about having them here, and they're gonna, we're going to hear about the Dominican Republic and, and uh, what the Lord's doing. That'll be really good. So that's next week. You don't, don't want to miss that. Today, our proverb is uh, 2426. An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Cool. Everybody likes a good kiss, right? <laughs> I don't know what that means, but we're just going to move on. So, so you hear this comment, you know, is that the kind of shirt you're going to wear? Or um, you only get one life to live and this is how you're going to spend your life? You know, there are those people around you that sometimes you wish you could just, you know, pull out that control and go click, mute button, mute, mute. <laughs> I'm not, nobody in this room, I just was going through the hand motion, Okay. Today, <laughs> today we're going to wrap up our series on those people, and um, today it's those critical people, you know, those people that can pick you apart, can pick apart anything, anywhere, on demand, criticize everything we do. How many of you have ever had to deal with someone who could kind of pick things apart? Can we see your hands? Yeah, okay. So how many of you are saying, you know what, you know, Terry, we hate the fact that every time you do this, you say, make us raise our hands and... Um, you know, <laughs> so this sermon is for you, buddy. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so this, this, we can laugh a little bit about it, but this can be a very painful process, very painful issue for people. Um, and it's been a problem that's been around since the beginning of time. And you might be surprised some of the characters that are in the Bible who were criticized and it gets recorded. Um, so I'm going to just take a couple of minutes. I'm going to give you three. I'm just going to pick three examples of, of criticism that's going on in the scriptures. If you married someone that your family didn't take to very well, then you can probably understand our friend Moses. And, um, and he got criticized. We'll see that in Numbers 12, 15. Aaron and Miriam, brother and sister, criticized Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. And let's, let's, let's take a look and see about what happened there. While they were at Hazroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was a very humble, was very humble, more humble than any other person on the earth. Remember that fact. It's relevant a little bit later. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron and Miriam. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. 
I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my, Moses, my, my servant Moses? Okay, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. The Lord was very angry with them and he departed. As the cloud moved from the tabernacle, from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. Ooh, bad day. When Aaron saw what happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. Okay. It mentions they both criticize. She gets leprosy. Aaron doesn't have it yet. If I was him, I'd be crying out for mercy too. He's trying to, you know, I, I don't know why she, she got it. He didn't. Who knows? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but so it's, so anyway, it's going on back to 11. He cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin. We have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So my Moses cried out to the Lord. Oh God, I beg you to please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days. And after that, she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Now, that's way bigger than it sounds like. Okay, because you and I think outside the camp. Okay, so if this was the camp, go on the other side of that hedge, wait on the other side of the railroad tracks, come back in a week. You know, that's what we picture. But that's not what's going on here. I want to remind you that Moses was the most humble man on the earth. And we're going to see Miriam now be humiliated in front of millions. Okay, so the people were camped, and nobody really knows the exact number, but a good estimate of men, women, children, not counting cats and dogs, is three to four million, maybe even five million people. That's, for our context here, about the same population um, as Puget Sound, including our county, Pierce County, Thurston County, I mean, three and a half million maybe. Okay, so it's the same number of people. So this isn't like go walk 150 feet away. There, they've, God has said she needs to go outside the camp. She's defiled. And she can come back in seven days. So I don't know how big that crowd is, how long it takes to walk past. But everybody was planning to travel. But the word says they waited for Miriam. So Miriam has to now get outside the camp, wait, and then come back. Could you imagine the whispers? Well, here comes Miriam. She's got to leave camp. It's going to take her a day and a half of walking just to get outside the camp because it's 18 miles. I mean, I don't know how big it is, but it's a long ways out there. And so there she goes. She's got to work her way out. Now she stays out. Now she's going to come back. It's no secret what's going on here. This woman is being probably completely humiliated. I bet you she never criticizes <laughs> at least why and how she did. And the interesting, another thing too is I know a lot of you parents, when your children behave, misbehave, you give them a timeout. See, you thought it was your idea. Here's a timeout, right? <laughs> God says, Miriam, timeout, right out over there. Um, in the New Testament, we, um, we, we see some criticism in Paul, of all people. You know, this giant writer of much of the scriptures, um, a lot of people evidently criticize Paul for being a bad speaker. Second, you see that Second Corinthians and if you read some of his writings, he makes comments like, you know, I might not be eloquent, but I preach the gospel. And you see that first Corinthians. We don't really know whether Paul was a good speaker or not. We know he was criticized. Um, and we do know that he was not always concise. There's a great story in Acts, um, I think about 20 or so, where he's preaching and uh, he starts preaching it, 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 and they're breaking bread. 
And uh, he keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And, and around midnight, there's this young person named Eutychus who's sitting on this window ledge and preach, 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 preach. And now it's midnight. I don't know why, but Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window. It's on the third floor. Bang, hits the ground, dead. Paul preached a guy to death. <laughs> I mean... I mean, you can interpret it differently if you choose, but I look at it like I said, he preached that guy to death. Paul goes down, raises him from the dead. But the word says, then Paul went back to preaching. He went all the way till sunrise. Sunrise. Okay, so he wasn't being very concise. If I say to you, hey, next week, the message is going to go till Monday at 6, how many of you are going to come to church? I don't know. (laughs) But if you found out there was going to be somebody raised from the dead, you might show up to see the event, I suppose. I'm not making any such promise, but... Okay, so Paul gets criticized. Another person uh, is Jesus. He was perfect in every way, without sin. And he was criticized all the time. Pharisees, the Roman soldiers. The Pharisees criticized Jesus for eating with sinners and for healing on the Sabbath. You see that in Mark 2 and in Luke 13 and goes on and on. The reality is that we have to acknowledge we will be criticized. We are going to be criticized. I mean, I, I hear it. I mean, you hear it, it'd be impossible not to hear it where somebody will say, you know, can you believe how they raise their kids? And, you know, everybody's got an opinion. I, I've, been a, I've been a pastor for 27 plus years. And, you know, so I'm in front of people and people have an expectation for what should be in front of them and what they want to see and what they don't want to see and what they believe is right. And, and uh, people are very vocal many times about their opinions about those things. And I've heard all kinds of things. You know, I've had people say, you need to dress nicer. And I've had people say, you know, you need to dress with, you know, like a hole in your sweater so that people who don't have as much money feel comfortable. You need to, um, you know, tell more jokes. Or you need to be more serious. Or you need to drive an older car. You really should drive a nicer car. You, you, you should drive slower. You should drive faster. You should park right by the front door. No, you should park out there. I've had people criticize left, right, up, down, Dress younger, act your age. I get a lot of that. (laughs) You know, I do. I just had to recognize I'm going to be criticized. You know, I've been told to be careful about the appearance of things, and that's real wisdom. I've had people say, be careful about your house. You know, you should buy yourself a fixer-upper. You shouldn't buy a palace on a hill. I, I get that. That makes sense. So, But then, so you buy the fixer-upper, and then people say, you know, you really should take care of this. This is the Lord's given this to you. So you fix it up, and they go, wow, how can you afford a house like this? <laughs> criticize, criticize if I do. Criticize if I don't. You just have to recognize, I will be criticized. Everybody say that. I will be criticized. Thanks for not turning that on me and saying, Terry, you're going to be criticized. No, thank you. <laughs> We will be criticized. And I don't know who it's going to be for you. You know, it could be a friend that you work with or somebody you go to school with and they say, oh, you're a Christian, holier than thou. Or, oh, you didn't go to the party because you're too good for that. Or, you're saving yourself for your marriage? How stupid is that? And you'll hear these criticisms, maybe from your friends or maybe from your family members. They'll they'll say, I can't believe the way you spend your money. Or, I can't believe the way you don't hold on to your money. Or I can't believe the way you dress your kids. I would never do that. Or I can't believe you let your daughter dress that way. I mean, you just hear these things 
from sometimes family. Or, you know, if you're a woman with kids, I've decided that you just can't win no matter what. If you're a woman with children, you can't win. Because if you work and you have kids, then they'll say, oh, you work because you don't love your kids. And, and if you don't work outside the home, then they'll say, oh, you don't do anything. It's like, you, can't, you just can't win. Some people have a very painful marriage. You get a spouse maybe that kind of just chews and picks. And you hear things like, and I don't like the way you chew your food. I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you act when company is over. I don't like the way you load the dishwasher. I don't like the fact that you don't load the dishwasher. You never help. Oh, you've been eating pretty well. I mean, you hear all these things. <laughs> and unfortunately, Christians can sometimes be the most critical of other Christians. You know, I can't believe you read that version of the Bible. <laughs> what version do you read? Oh, no, not. And here's one that I just want to punt the person into orbit when I've heard this. <laughs> can I say that in church? I guess I can. Um, I just did. You know, if you had more faith, oh, that's, that's a form of criticism that is so hurtful and um, it's just bad. And it can tear your heart when it's coming from people that are, especially when it's coming from people that are close to you, people that you love. So how do you deal with critical people? Now, before we spend any time on unjust criticism, I think we should take just a couple minutes and talk about constructive criticism because, you know, we can learn a lot from people that love us and tell us the truth in love. So I want to say, before we get into the unjust, I want to say, so never, ever ignore the value of constructive criticism. Proverbs 15 gives us a nice little um, reminder. If you, verse 31 and 32, if you listen to constructive criticism... You will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, what do you do to yourself? The Bible says that you only harm yourself. So one of the most valuable things you can do as a leader or a parent or a boss or a student or a friend or an employee is to crave feedback and listen to constructive criticism. I used to do, um, I'm, used to, I'm used to, from my leadership background, I'm used to doing these, these debriefs from these large events that our church would do. And we got used to rounding up all of the leaders, all of the people who participated um, in these huge events. And now some of these events, we would literally have hundreds of people volunteering and serving. And those people have given up their free time. They've given up their money. They've given up um, a, a whole lot of freedom to go do something and serve something with the hope that they're going to make a difference somewhere in a community and in people's lives. So it's all it's all got this positive um, energy and effort involved. And, um, and the last thing people want to have you do is criticize when they've given up so much to serve. So, so sometimes things don't go right, and sometimes there's mistakes made in the planning and, and those kinds of things. And so, But still, people don't want to hear you complain about something that they've sacrificed, and they did the best they could. But we would have these debriefs anyway. Now, we would get the leaders together, and we had this culture where we understood. Let's, gonna, let's debrief that. Let's talk about this big, huge event. What did we like that was so good? We need to remember. we got to repeat that. What did we do that was really worth remembering because it's just a good thing? And what – we're not going to flog ourselves here, but what was like this the biggest flop? Okay, we're just going to kind of forget that that ever happened and move on from here. I mean, it's okay. Nobody's going to take it personally. We would just talk those things through. And uh, it became 
part of our culture. And I really believe it's important to create a culture of helpful feedback that, for, for us to, to do that. I'm, I'm also used to in my background, and this was back in my before ministry days too, I'm, I'm used to participating in these leadership evaluation processes where the people around you all have the opportunity to comment about your leadership skills anonymously. You're, so I'm used to having it with people that, you know, I was their leader, people whom I was their, their peers or whatever, and also to my, my, to my overseer. So you have this, every, it's coming at you from every direction kind of a deal, right? And they're anonymous. So, um, um, you know, that can kind of be a scary deal. No, no, it is a scary deal, okay? Because you will hear things that you might not agree with, that you maybe really don't even want to hear, but you'll hear some things um, that, you know, you should. And when you have the ability to look past your own closely held perceptions, your own closely held belief about how good you are, which, okay, I get that because I've been there and I am there, right? But when you get past that and actually are capable of hearing what other people are telling you outside perspectives, you can grow. You can, you can really grow, and it can really be a good thing. And the thing is that, that when you go through that process, we've done it, I've done it formally several times, the people that participate, they watch you. They want to see your reaction. Are you going to flip out, Terry, because we told you you need to grow up? Are we going to flip out, Terry, because we told you X, Y, and Z? Um, and if you react openly and teachable, here's what happens. In their hearts, your respect goes up. But if you become defensive and close-minded, you lose credibility. And uh, the Word of God says, what happens? It says, you only harm yourself. That's the scripture we just read. Okay, so uh, let's read it again, Proverbs 15. If you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Now, um, I have a few thoughts about... Um, about giving constructive criticism. That's not really the purpose of today's message, so I'm just going to hit these bullets. It's just just because I jotted them down as I was preparing, but I'm not going to develop these. You can have them if you want them. A few thoughts about giving constructive criticism. Criticism erodes trust, but constructive criticism shared in love builds trust. To create a culture that craves and gives constructive criticism, you have to be intentional. You got to do that on purpose. A climate of trust like that can only be earned. And to earn this trust, you must make sure that they hear your love more than the criticism. And if you care more about the truth than your own viewpoint, then you'll grow and you'll get better. It is so important when your spouse who loves you wants to give constructive criticism or your boss or your coworker or your kids, hey, mom, you're always yelling at me. Well, maybe you are always yelling. And constructive criticism can be life, life-changing. Now, the rest of the time today, we're going to talk about unjust criticism, but it would have been inappropriate for me just to blow past it because some criticism we need to hear and we need to pay attention to it. So I'm going to give you, we're going to go over three prayers about how to deal with criticism because we want to be prayerful as we go through this topic. We don't just want to react in our flesh. We don't want to become defensive and uh, ungodly in our reaction. So the first prayer is, God, help me know when to respond to criticism. Did you notice I didn't say react? 
um, you know, sometimes we get all revved up. How dare you say that about me? You just don't know me. And, or we get on Facebook and we say, my mom, <laughs> on Facebook, like, okay, that's really not smart. Don't ever air out your private conflicts in a public forum. That's really unwise to do, okay? I mean, there was this uh, deal a couple months back where a girl decided to take her dad on on Facebook. Remember seeing that? The, vir- the, the video went viral. The guy sits down, he has a chat chat, reads her comments, then he shoots the... <laughs> now, it, it, you know, caution, if you decide to look it up on YouTube, there's some language in there that's awfully coarse. Um, it's kind of a funny video, but it's not the right way to do either parenting or childing, whatever that means. Um, it's just not the best place to do it. And also, airing out your private criticisms publicly didn't work out too well for Miriam either. You know, I don't know what happened, but she was corrected publicly. I just have to think, and I fill in the blanks there. I'm thinking her complaints weren't privately given. I, I just, I'm just guessing that. Um, so don't try to solve your private pub, uh, problems in a public forum. When we do need to respond, when heaven is directing, God will lead us when that's the appropriate thing for us to do. Because sometimes we don't need to respond. Sometimes you just need to shake it off. But there are times when God will say to you, you know, you do need to respond to this. And uh, because explanation will bring some understanding. And then that understanding will diffuse an unjust criticism. Gideon did this with the Ephraimites. In Judges 8, we see that. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply, but he answered them. He basically says to them, you know, what have I done? We're eating better food. Life is better here. We're all doing better than we were before. Verse 3, when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. And a spirit-directed response diffused some unjust criticism in that example. And you, you can be directed by the Lord just like that. If you can hold down sometimes the temperature of the heart, um, and the hurt, and God can direct you. Second prayer. God, help me to know when to dismiss invalid criticism. When do I just shake it off and just let it go? Now, here's a caution. If 15 people are all telling you the same thing, it's possible that you better be listening. There could be something to it. But if you just got one or two people who don't even know you, and they're hypocritical, they're always complaining, and one of them has not had a nice thing to say about you since 1984, you can probably let it go. You can probably let that go. And that's what Jesus did. We see that in 1 Peter 2. When they hurled in their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I can tell you, if you want to make a difference in your life, the more effective you are, the better you are at work, the better leader you are, the better student you are, the more, um, the more you impact the kingdom, the more critics you're going to pick up along the way. And you have to learn how to dismiss, how to shake off, how to rise above invalid criticism. And I've had to search my own heart about this. You know, God, why do I take this so personally? You know, why do I churn sometimes over some of that. And we do take it personally. And the reason that we do that for most of us in our lives is because of this. 
We elevate the opinions of people above the opinions of God. That's worth repeating. We elevate the opinions of people above the opinions of God. Do they like me? What do they think about me? I want them to understand. I want them to like me. And here's the deal. Everybody is not going to like you. I don't understand that either. They should. But but you just can't please everybody. But here's some good news. You can please God. You can. And when you get that into your mind, it can set you free from being a prisoner of the opinions of people. You can stop living for the crowd who you cannot please and start living for the one who you can please. And then you're shaken free of that desire to have everybody like you. You know, here's the problem. If you're really sensitive to criticism, you are placing the opinions of people above the opinions of God. And here's the deal about that. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Being obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. You know, and it's like a pray, prayer, Lord God, help me to rise above that. I have this thing about the news media. I have a bad attitude about the news media. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, there have been too many places in times where I've been at an event, witnessed it, heard it, took it in, observed it, and then watched the report on the TV networks or read it in the paper. And it's like, were we at two different events because the reporting was so dramatically different than what I witnessed that my, I, I go through this and I get this attitude. Maybe it's correct. I don't know. But I have a hard time trusting because I think that an agenda has driven the report. I think that happens an awful lot. And that, okay, this happened to me personally, you know, back there at that big old church I was working at and um, um, ministering there. And I, I got a phone call and the, the local newspaper wanted to interview me and, and why are you doing these things? Why is the church doing these things? So I had an interview and, and the interview went great. Article shows up in the paper the next day and it's like it was completely misquoted, completely portrayed a different heart. It was a smear job. I, I felt like it was a political smear job. And it wasn't the first time that it happened. And I shouldn't, you know, Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who, you know, they will, they will persecute you. It's going to be because of me. You got to get used to that. Do you mind if I paraphrase things like that? Because I do. And I should have risen above it, but it really ticked me off. So the next day in church, I am in front of these people. And it's, you know, 2,500 people probably attending the church, a couple thousand. And, of course, it's been in the papers. And I'm thinking, I've got to talk about this. So I get up there and I say, you know what? I, I, just, I just can't trust that, you know, that newspaper. It just, it makes me angry. It's not accurate. It's not truthful. I don't trust it. And, um, you know, I made that kind of comment. Well, in, in the city of Olympia, you know, at a church of a couple thousand, you can be certain that there were a couple people in that thousand that maybe were employees of that big paper. <laughs> And none of them came and said anything to me. I mean, I mean my, my heat was evident as I was sharing this, right? Do you like that euphemism? My heat, okay? So, I mean, makes me, it paints me in a better picture than if I just said my lack of self-control and emotions were overcoming me. Um, 
Anyway, so the next day I get a phone call, and it's from the publisher. Now, there's a food chain at the newspaper, and there's people in different positions. This is the person on the top of the pyramid, the boss of the whole thing. Can we meet? Yes, fine, we'll meet. So I met with her, and you know, she said, why did you make those public statements? I said, I'm just sharing my, peri- my, 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 my personal experience, my opinion, and I'm angry. I've been here. I've, this is the last time I'm going to trust because your organization has done this multiple times. I am so sorry. We didn't mean to do that. All this apologizing, all these excuses, all these explanations. By the way, here's my phone number, my office phone number. Here's my cell phone number. Here's my home number. If you ever get upset again, please, please call me. Translated as, please call me before you make a public statement about us. Ooh, was that cynical? I don't know. Might have been, just a scratch. And, okay, so I left the meeting feeling better, but not good. Next day's paper, nothing. I shouldn't have expected anything. The point is that they never fixed what they had, this this dust that they had picked up and thrown up in the middle of a windstorm, scattered all over. They never even tried to fix it. And I just got ticked about that. And I was talking with someone who was really smart, and he said to me, hey, Mark, Mark Twain said, never pick a fight with someone who buys ink by the barrel. <laughs> you might have heard that before. There's real wisdom in that. And those words made me wiser and it made me um, react better, but they didn't put out the fire that was going in here. And I was talking with the Lord about this and, uh, you know, to tell you that I, I, don't, I can't say that how supernatural this was because it was a personal experience. But I know something that uh, it took God saying some things to me that went along the lines of, hey, Terry, I know the truth. I was there. I know your heart. I know our heart. And you need to know I'm pleased. And when the Lord said those things and put those things down into my soul... Only then, only then was I, did I get peace about this whole thing. Now, I, I carry my wisdom with me and my experience with me, but I got peace about it. And I, I'll tell you that as the closer I got to God in those moments, the smaller my enemies became. The closer I got to the Lord, the smaller my problems became. God helped me rise above it. He helped me really rise above it. And it was only because of his intervention that I was able to rise above it. And I determined then that I was not going to let critical, nitpicky people slow me down. I'm not going to let them slow me down because I'm on a mission from God. And I'm just not going to let them slow me down. And so are you. If you don't know it, you need to know it. God has equipped you and planned for you to make a difference. And, you know, some of you are thinking different things, but I want to say to you, you aren't just a stay-at-home mom or a guy who works at the bank or some retired guy. You aren't that. You're a child of God. And you are a representative of the Creator everywhere you go all the time. You make deposits of righteousness and hope and mercy and love, and goodness, and self-control. You, you make deposits of the fruit of the Spirit everywhere you go, all the time. Don't you dare let some nitpicky, critical person shove you off your mission. 
Rise above it. Rise above it. Rise above it. Rise above it. Jesus took it. He didn't retaliate. He rose above it, literally. God help me know when to shake off invalid criticism. Because you're not living for the approval of people. You're living for the approval of God. The third prayer, I'm telling you, I run around out there and count the cars. I can't stand it when they're training. I love the training. <laughs> See, this is the kind of thing that I get criticized for. Terry, you derail your own meetings. Derail. Get that train? Derail. That's pretty good. And, sorry. Um, God, help me overcome my own critical nature. That's the third prayer. It's the most important one. You knew that was coming, right? If you've been here for the last um, three parts of the series, you know the third prayer is always kind of inward pointed. So God, help me overcome my own critical nature. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this. Some people make cutting remarks. They just tear other people down. Their words are hurtful. They're sharp. But the words of the wise bring healing. Ask yourself, do you want to make cutting remarks or do you want to be counted among the wise? Do you want your words to, to make people become whole, to become healed? Look at the way he dresses. I can't believe the way he talks to his wife. You know, I personally, I've, when I'm going through, you know, when I'm preaching, usually I'm working through these things myself and I am really trying to be less critical. I'm more critical than I'm supposed to be. I know that's true. And, you know, God bless God. <laughs> he gave me a wife who I loved desperately and he, the Holy Spirit sits in the right-hand seat of my car. <laughs> and I'm, okay, so here's where I really struggle with being critical. When I'm driving, because nobody around me pleases me. That car in front of me, I should be in that spot. Or they're driving too slow. Or they're driving too fast. Or get this. I'm getting all worked up. Get this. You're on the freeway and the guy wants to merge. He wants to merge at 25. Everybody slow down. Here comes a car. No. It just drives me crazy. Okay. I'm being critical right now. Stop it. <laughs> okay. The other area that I struggle is TV preachers. Okay. Just for the record, Jesus is two syllables. It's not five or six. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> because when I'm critical... When I'm critical... That reveals my weaknesses. It reveals my pride. It reveals my sin. It's like me thinking and saying, you know, I'm right. All these other people on the freeway are wrong. That's really proud. And it represents ungodliness and insecurity that's going on in my own heart. You know, sin, pride, whatever it is. When I rise above the complaining, I'm actually getting closer to God. I really believe that. And the more I know who God says I am, the less I want to tear other people down. I don't want to be characterized by cutting remarks. I want to lift people up. I want my words to be wise words that bring people healing. You know, some of you are in relationships right now that are kind of jacked up a little bit. They're, 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 they're trouble because 
they've been fed by insecurity and by pride and by tearing down. But here's a couple of things and we're about done. Criticism never changes the world. It's like you, you will never criticize your way to a better marriage. You will never criticize your kids to be more godly. You can't get them there that way. You can find things to criticize all day long. And you can continue and spew poison and venom, but criticism never changes the world. Or you can find things to celebrate. You can find some things that are good. You can find ministries that are, that are worth your tongue promoting. You can find things at work that are good and focus on loving people up. But if you continue to criticize, and you'll just tear them down. And all of us, at one time or another, are those people. Lord, help us overcome our own critical hearts. Help us, Lord, to love people up, to stop tearing them down. And Lord, in this moment, in your presence and by the power of your presence, we will overcome this problem and become more like your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that um, at this moment, as hearts among, among us are acknowledging you. We acknowledge, God, that we need your help to be less critical. We need forgiveness because there's times that we just have stepped over and we need you to forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us especially for criticizing your sons and daughters. And Lord, I, I'm not somehow declaring up here that there's a rampant problem with criticism in our church, but hell would like for there to be. Hell would like for there to be a, a bonfire of criticism in every marriage, in every workplace, and certainly in every church. And Lord, let it not be so. In the name of Jesus, we, we say, I'm grateful, Lord, for the friendliness of this crowd of people, for their loving hearts, for their, their, their pursuit, Lord, of you, and for, for the good, the betterment of each other. I'm thankful for that. But God, I just pray, let it be a mark upon this church that we use words that heal here, that we use words here that build up, that we give away life, that we plant something just as you were doing earlier in the service, that life would spring forth out of our tongue rather than be destroyed by it. And Lord, we recognize that for some of us, we are our own worst critic. We look at... We look at the opinions of people and we look at the opinion of ourselves, and then we compare ourselves and we say we just don't measure up. God, I pray that you would help us to begin to see instead through your eyes rather than our own. And Lord, there are also could be people here who are their own worst critic and they look at their life and they say, I've made a mess of it and it's true. And that's what we do. We make a mess of things and apart from your intervention, apart from your saving grace, we can't fix them. Keep praying, church. If you have, if you believe that your life is a mess and you have never said to the Lord, Lord, I need you to help me sort this out. I need to open my heart to you. I just want to invite you right in this moment to do that. Because the word of God says that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. If you want to say that, I'm just going to keep this private. Um, eyes closed in the church. 
And I'm just going to look across the room so that I can agree with you. I won't identify you or embarrass you, but if you'd like to open your heart to the Lord, just give me a quick look and a quick hand wave. I want to pray for you. Praise your, praise the Lord. Way to go. Others? God saves. Lord, I want to, I'm just so grateful for these two. I'm so grateful, Lord, that, um, that you call us to eternity with love on your tongue, love in your heart, love on your fingers, and you draw us in gently. Thank you for doing that. I pray, Lord, that, um, that salvation would go deep. It's complete. It's perfected already. But I want to pray, Lord, for my sisters now here who have said, yes, I open my heart. Lord, that you would put into their lives godly influence, that you would put into their lives, Lord, grace and peace. And I thank you that you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, would you all stand to your feet? Um, I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to say it publicly. Um, I don't have that packet in front of me here, but if you open your heart to the Lord, um, I've, writ- I've written a letter to you, and I want to give you a, a, a simple New Testament. And if you talk to me or any of the leaders after church, we'll give you a simple packet. That's all. We're not going to collect your name or your email address or send you any, any junk mail, okay? God bless you. <laughs>